Thanks for listening to this message from The Block KC. The Block KC exists to help young adults build their lives on what counts. We believe that is Jesus and what God has revealed in His Word. We'd love to see you next Thursday, 7 p.m. at Lenexa Baptist Church. Now, let's listen to this week's message. All right, y'all, so about three years ago, uh, my parents and I, we decided to go on vacation to Wisconsin. And they took me up to Door County, Wisconsin, which, by the way, it's a great place. This has been sponsored by the Door Door County Tourism Board. Uh, Not really. Can you say false sponsorships? Is that legal? Am I going to get in trouble for that? Uh, One of those days, though, we decided to charter a fishing boat to take us out on Lake Michigan so that we could go out and, and do some deep lake fishing. And I caught some great fish. You can see the first one that I caught. Check that one out. That is the smallest fish that I have ever caught in my entire life. I also caught the biggest fish I'd ever caught. Those ones were a little bit better. I just wanted to prove that I actually caught some fish. That's, I think it's important. Uh, but the thing that's really important is if you look at the next picture that you got up there, it's very foggy, right? It, there was a lot of fog that was covering the lake. And so the fish was fun, but the memorable part for me was that as we were heading back in the boat towards shore, I got to watch a lot of the navigation that Captain Steve was doing. You can see the back of Captain Steve on the left. He's wearing the pink shirt. Uh, I grew up in Kansas City. There's not a lot of big bodies of water around here, right? I don't have a lot of boating experience. But we were heading back at about 10 p.m. So you can imagine, it is pitch black outside. And there's still that same layer of fog across the lake. And obviously, I'm curious. So I'm like kind of up at the front watching Captain Steve and all his cool navigation tools. And I'm like trying to ask him some questions. And he wasn't even looking out of the boat. That was the thing that was amazing to me. His eyes were not even up and looking for the shoreline. His eyes were looking directly at the navigation tools. And so I was curious because once we got out of the fog and we could see the shoreline, I expected Steve to look up, or Captain Steve, sorry, to look up and look out and direct himself back to the dock. And his eyes stayed glued to this little navigation tool. And I remember thinking, that's really weird, man. You can see where you're going. And so I said, Captain, tell me, why are you still using that little device thing instead of your eyes? And without even looking at me, he goes, son, do you have any idea how rugged and rocky the shore of Lake Michigan is? And I said, I, I had no idea. And what I didn't realize was that there were rocks, downed trees, and even sunken ships all along the coast. And he had to use the sonar to navigate himself back to the dock, or else we would have been shipwrecked right there in Lake Michigan. And I realized that Captain Steve had a choice, whether he was going to trust his eyes or he was going to trust the navigation to get in through the unknown and the unseen challenges that were ahead of us. And I bring this up because... Each and every one of us tonight, we are actively choosing what we trust to guide us through life. And life is a lot like Lake Michigan. It's really rocky and really rugged. And there's the fog of life, or there's the unknown circumstances of the future. There's the rocks of life, or there's the unseen challenges that we don't know that we could hit. And we can choose to navigate based off of what we see 
around the, in the world around us, or we can choose to navigate by faith. And so as we're continuing on in our footsteps of the faithful series, we've, gonna, or we've been in Hebrews 11, and we've been looking at people who are examples in the Bible of faith. I'm really excited that we got to hear from Tim and Sarah because they are examples that you don't have to have lived in biblical times to live by faith. Every single one of us can live by faith. You guys can go ahead and turn to Hebrews 11 if you've got your Bibles. If not, the verses are going to be up on the screen, so no pressure. Hebrews is in the New Testament if you need help trying to find that. But we looked at the life of Abel and we answered the question, what does faith do? Last week we looked at the life of Abraham and Sarah and we looked at how faith is built on the promises that God has given us. And so tonight we're going to look at the life of a man named Moses and we're going to examine this truth that faith is a choice. And Moses is a perfect example of this because we'll see tonight he was a man who faced extreme choices and he had to choose whether he was going to trust what he could see or he was going to choose what the world have to offer him, or he had to trust what he couldn't see, the God who guided him. And both of these choices had costs that had to be paid. There was no free choice for Moses. And tonight, it's so important for us as young adults, because all of us are going to choose at one point or the other between what the world has to offer and what God has to give. And the world is going to be a lot like trusting our eyes in the boat. It's fun to look at the shoreline, right? It's fun to try to look through the fog of life and try to figure out what's going on. But we don't know what's ahead. And there's rocks in the water. And the cost is that if we run into a rock, you can go down with the ship. And so if we trust our eyes to bring us to success or purpose or satisfaction, we know that eventually we're going to run into something that we don't see. Or we can choose to trust God, who we don't see, But like the sonar in the boat, the unseen challenges and the rocks are not a big deal for God because he knows what's ahead in the future. And he knows what's true about the world. But it comes at the cost of having to admit that we can't trust our own eyes. And so make no mistake, we are all navigating life. And whether or not you feel like you know where you're going, there are unknown challenges and unseen circumstances ahead. And you may be in it right now. You might be in it next year. You might be in it 10 years from now. But tonight, our hope and prayer is that the life of Moses would help show you that the choice to trust God in navigating your life might have a cost in the moment, but it will always be worth it in the end. So bow your heads, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we just pray tonight, God, would we hear from your word? Uh, God, would you give us the humility to be able to honestly admit, God, that we need help? And God, would you... Uh, please just help us to see from the life of Moses all the ways that he chose to have faith in you. And God, would you enable us to be young adults and people who choose to live by faith as well rather than what we see in the world around us. God, we need you. God, let these words be from you and not from me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so tonight we're continuing on in Hebrews 11, verses 23 through 28. Starts off, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered abuse suffered for Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And he was looking for the reward. 
By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Brief overview of Moses' life. Uh, Here's the main points in case you're not familiar. So the Hebrew or the Jewish people, they were living in Egypt for about uh, up to 400 years before Moses was born. And they had moved there because of a famine. And over time, they had continued to multiply or were having a lot of kids. And uh, suddenly, uh, the Egyptian pharaohs begin to realize, man, there's a lot of Hebrew people and not as much of us Egyptians. And that started to make them uncomfortable because the pharaohs were very power hungry. And they thought, man, we don't want anyone getting in the way of our power. So they decided to enslave the Hebrew people. But the Hebrew people continued to multiply. And there continued to be more and more Hebrew babies. So one pharaoh came along and he said, he made a command that all Hebrew baby boys had to be killed as soon as they were born. And that is the time period of which Moses was born into. It was around 1,500 years ago, 500 years after Abraham and Sarah, who we looked at last week. And when he was born, though, it says, like in the verse, Moses' parents, they're not afraid of the edict of the king. They're just, they're not afraid of that. So they decide, man, we're going to keep Moses alive. We're not going to listen. We're going to save our child. And they try to raise him for three months. Around three months later, though, they begin to realize, man, we can't really hide this kid anymore. He's getting loud. He's beginning to make noises. He's not a newborn. And so we have to do something. And they build a basket out of reeds, and they put him into the Nile River and send him off. And they trust that God is going to take care of him. And wouldn't you know it, that Pharaoh's daughter, the princess of Egypt, she is walking down by the water and she goes to the water and she sees the baby sitting in this basket and says that she has compassion on him. So she takes the baby and she actually raises him, raises Moses as her own son. Moses is actually raised. He goes from certain death and slavery to becoming a prince of Egypt And he's raised in the palace of Pharaoh, and he lives his life up into adulthood when suddenly he's going out and he sees an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrews. And this makes Moses angry, so he kills the Egyptian and tries to hide the body in the sand. But Pharaoh hears about this and tries to kill him. So Moses runs away, and for about 40 years he lives in a different country. And he gets married, and he has a kid, but suddenly God appears to him one day and commands him, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. It's one of the most common phrases that people associate with Moses. And Moses goes and he obeys and he tells Pharaoh to let the the Israelites go. And there's 10 plagues, which you might have also heard about. And the people are released and Moses leads them to the promised land. And that's the the full story of Moses. But tonight we're going to be looking at a couple of the pivotal choices that Moses made when he was choosing between Egypt and Israel. And that's what Hebrews 11 is going to talk about. So take a look uh, with me at verses 24 and the first part of 25 in particular. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. You know, we, we have to put ourselves in these shoes and think about this, right? Moses was born into certain death, and he was rescued by the daughter of the man who was going to kill him. And he was raised as a prince. And, and if you're not familiar with ancient Egypt, do I have any big history fans in here? Wow, not, okay, a couple. A couple of big history fans. I was going to give some YouTube channel references, but don't, no, I'm not going to do that. But the, the pharaohs of the New Kingdom era, uh, they wielded absolute power over Egypt. 
And at that time, Egypt was actually a world superpower. It was the most powerful nation on earth. And Pharaoh was the political and the social ruler. But not only that, Pharaoh was the commander-in-chief of the military. But not only that, Pharaoh owned everything in Egypt except for what the priests owned. But not only that, it gets crazier. Pharaoh was believed by the Egyptian people to be a god on earth who was keeping the divine order in place. And they literally thought without our king, the world would fall apart. Literally would just devolve into chaos. And so to be born into this house means, Pharaoh literally means great house. That's what the word Pharaoh means in ancient Egyptian. And to belong to the household of Pharaoh was the highest status that anyone could begin to have. It's a higher status than anything that we really have a context for here in the United States. I mean, as great as Patrick Mahomes is, he does not own the entire country. Although, sometimes I think he should. Just kidding, I don't actually think that. He's great, though. Uh, But Moses was adopted into this, right? He's a prince. And you begin to see that he has all the popularity, he has all the fame, all the respect. He's got all the friends, all the status that anyone could ever want. He's an ancient celebrity. But what does he do? When he grows up, he refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to be mistreated with the people of God. And it shows us the first choice that Moses had to make. Faith chooses to align. Moses chose to align with God and his people rather than Pharaoh's family to keep his status, and it cost him. He chose to be mistreated. He was not taking any social steps up the ladder. And in the same way, we all have a choice. We can either choose to align ourselves with God and his people, or we can align ourselves with the world around us. Y'all, here's the deal. To believe in Jesus and to believe in the Bible, to believe, please silence your cell phones at this time. (laughs) To believe that God's word is true that is becoming an increasingly unpopular opinion. There was a time where going to church was popular. There was a time where going to church would net you social standing, where if you showed up, you were known by your community, and so people would just go for the social benefit. That is not the time anymore. There might be some small traces of that now, but to align yourself with Christ now is to choose to be unpopular in today's world. And it's a challenge, right? Because we all want to be liked. And we might not say outwardly that we want the level of fame that Moses had. You might not want to be a prince or a princess. Uh, but a lot of these thoughts, tell me if, if these don't come into your mind. Man, I, I just, I want people to like me. I, I wouldn't dislike being slightly Instagram famous. That wouldn't be too bad. If I had status or popularity or respect of my coworkers or my friends, here in Kansas City, I think that'd be okay. If people knew who I was online, that wouldn't be too bad. And I think I'd be better off for it. And y'all, we naturally want to be liked and respected and known by the people around us. And Moses was no different. But what do we do when being a follower of Jesus puts us in contradiction with the popular opinion of the day? 
Do we choose to align ourselves with the world or do we choose to align ourselves with God? We're going to talk about one of those popular opinions that is very, very divisive. And I want to, I want to be very, very careful as we talk about this. We're going to talk about the idea of abortion. And you guys remember several months ago, back in August of 2022, the Value Them Both Amendment was voted on here in Kansas. And that was a highly controversial, highly controversial topic. And, and I want to say, just before you think that I'm choosing something to be inflammatory or edgy, the passage that we're talking about, Pharaoh gives a command to kill babies. And so that's how we decided on talking about this. And I want to be careful here representing God's word. So first and foremost, if you are here and you have had an abortion or you have had your girlfriend get an abortion or you have friends who have had an abortion or you believe that abortion should be legalized, I just want to say, I want to be the first to say you are so, so welcome here. We are so glad that you are here at the block tonight. And we also want to let you know that God loves you and he cares very, very deeply about you. And he sent his son to die on the cross for you. And you will always be welcome here at the Block KC. But at the same time, God's word teaches that abortion is wrong. Jeremiah 1.5, God is speaking to the prophet Jeremiah, who Tim and Sarah actually quoted. It says, before God formed Jeremiah in the womb, he knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you a prophet to the nations. Shows that God knew Jeremiah before he even formed him in the womb. He was a person even before he was formed in the womb. Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. What God is saying here, the psalmist is saying, God saw the unformed substance, and that was a person. Before, before that baby was formed, God knew that person. In Exodus 22, the law that God gives to Moses it says that if a man hits a pregnant woman and the baby dies, that man is guilty of murder. And God's word is clear that life begins at conception, and to take that life is to commit murder. And again, God can save anyone, and if you're here and that's a part of your story or that's a part of the story of some of your loved ones, we are so glad that you're here. We really, really are. Do not hear this as something that we're trying to point the finger or call anyone evil but what we are saying is that God says that this is wrong. This is sin. And this is unpopular. It's an unpopular opinion. According to a study done by MarketSite and, and the Hill newspaper last year, they found that 72% of all young adults, people ages 18 to 29, our peers, 72% believed that abortion should be legal in all or most cases. And so to be a follower of Jesus and believe God's word is true, to believe that what God says about this topic is true, is to choose to say, I'm going to go against the popular opinion of today. And it's to align ourselves with a belief that while we're seeking to protect life, 
That might cause me to lose a lot of respect. That might cause me to lose a lot of status from people who are pro-choice. And it might be a friend, it might be a coworker, it might be a family member, it might even be someone in this room. But the question is, who do you choose to align with? Do we choose to align with the world or with God? Where, do is, where does our allegiance lie? And, and you might be thinking, no, 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 no. I, I can identify with Christ quietly. Like, I, I don't have to believe everything in the Bible. I can disagree on some points. I can have some opinions that line up more with the world than with God. But Galatians 1.10 has a strong statement for us. Paul says, For am I trying to seek the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. At some point, we all have to decide, are you trying to win the approval of man or God? Who is your life about? Is it about ourselves or the people around us? Or is it about the God who loves you and created the universe? And the Bible says that if you are living, if you form your opinions, if you take a stand with the world, living to please the world, the Bible says you're not living as a servant of Christ. And I, I recognize this is really heavy stuff. This is not easy. And I don't particularly get up, or I don't enjoy getting up here and talking about this. Why? Because I want to be like too, right? I don't. I want to have popularity and I want to have status. Naturally, that is what I want. But I'm commanded by God to teach and believe God's word. And practically for me, this looks like not being ashamed of the gospel. And I'm going to take a stand and say this is what God's word says. Do I share God's word boldly or am I ashamed of what my God has told me? And if you're asking yourself, what does this look like practically for you? First and foremost, this is what it does not look like. I want to be very, very clear on this. It does not look like arguing with everyone who does not agree with you. That is never what we're commanded to do in God's word. The Bible is very clear. We are always commanded to be gentle and gracious and loving in how we speak to people. We're never supposed to get in people's faces. We're never supposed to get in shouting matches. Jesus even says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So as believers, we're never trying to cause uproar. But what it does mean is, am I going to choose to identify with Jesus even when it's unpopular? 1 Timothy 2, 2 through 4, it tells us to pray for all people, especially those in the government, that we can leave a quiet and peaceful life, godly and dignified in every way. It's good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. He desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants us to live at peace. God wants us to live a quiet and dignified life. But what he also wants is for everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth. Which means at some point, we have to talk about the truth. And it might mean at work that when everyone is talking about the latest show that you haven't seen because you don't think it benefits your relationship with God, and they ask you, why haven't you seen this? It means that you don't go home and binge the whole thing just so you fit in. And you say, hey, I, you know what? I don't believe this. This isn't, it doesn't help my walk with God. It might mean that when you're with your family and friends and you feel God prompting you to talk about your faith, you speak up and you just tell them, man, Jesus has changed my life so much. And I'm so grateful. 
It might mean that when you're out with coworkers and they ask what you're doing on Thursday night, and you tell them, I'm going to the block. And they ask, what's the block? And you confidently say, man, it's just a place where young adults go to grow in their knowledge and walk with Jesus. And sometimes that can seem really intimidating because I don't want to be identified with Jesus because I know that's controversial, and I want to be well-liked. And you might not face these now. You might not face this this month or this year, and we pray again that we can live at peace with everyone. But all of these things are risks that at some point, when we stand with Christ, when we align with Christ, it will cost you fame or reputation or respect, and it might even earn you mistreatment in the eyes of people around you. And you might be called narrow-minded. You might be excluded from certain social gatherings. But look at Moses. It says, by faith he chose, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. There's costs, but there are also costs to denying Christ. Yo, don't miss this. This is so important. It's a hard truth, but it's so important that Jesus says that if we deny him in our lifetime, he will deny that he knew us when we get to eternity. Why? Because to know Jesus is to align with him. Imagine, uh, imagine a friend of you, or a friend of yours. Don't actually imagine a, a specific friend, because this friend that we're talking about, uh, there's going to be some things about them that, as you're imagining them, they're unpopular, right? Maybe it's just different things that you think, man, that causes them to not really fit in with the world around you. And in your eyes, these things about your friend, it makes them unappealing or unattractive when you're with your coworkers or you're with your friends. And so you're thinking of this friend and you like when you get to hang out with them alone, but if you get around other people and other social spheres, you kind of think, man, I just don't really know that I want them around. And so let's say you've got this friend, right, and you're out in public and you're with your coworkers and he comes up to you and you acted like you didn't know him. And you said, oh, that guy's weird. Man, I don't, I don't know what that girl's problem was. I've never met her in my life. Or maybe you do say, you know, but oh yeah, I just I hang out with them because I don't, I don't know. No, they don't really have any friends. Let's say that time goes on and you're getting ready for the Taylor Swift concert this summer. And you wanted to buy some tickets, but they're sold out, even though there's two shows at Arrowhead. And you want to go. And you find out that that friend has front row tickets. And so you decide, man, that's my ticket in. That's how I'm going to get into this concert. And you go and you wait by the entrance and you're kind of waiting and you wait for your friend and you see them coming and you say, hey, 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 let me come into the concert with you. And they're going to say, you acted like you didn't even know me. Why should I let you in with me? And in the same way, Jesus says that if we deny him, and we say, no, 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 Jesus is crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. God's word, it's not, it's not that true. He says, why would he let you come with him into eternity? We have no reason to expect that if we deny Jesus now, that we get what we want later. Our, our identification with God, our aligning with God, it's not about a free ticket to heaven. Because that causes God to be some kind of cosmic vending machine that we just get whatever we want out of him. Our relationship with God is just that. It's a relationship. It's a friendship. And we choose to be loyal to our friends even when it's unpopular. Faith chooses to align. 
It's a hard truth. All right, everyone take a deep breath and get a little, this is, it's tough, so I've got to keep everyone going. We're going to take a look, uh, continuing on with Moses. Verse 25 and 26 says, Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered abuse suffered for Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses was not only giving up his status, he was also giving up pleasures and treasures. Is anyone in here a long-distance runner? Anyone? Come on, get them up. No, wow, there's not a lot of long-distance runners in here. Uh, Man, I have a lot of respect for y'all. I really do. I would consider myself a long-distance runner, but I don't run anything over like three miles these days, so I can't really call myself that. Uh, Do we have any marathon runners in here? Oh, wow, we got one. Okay. Hey, let's go. Give it up. That's awesome. Man, you're crazy. 26 miles, that is insane. That's so much dedication and training, genuinely. I understand why some people run marathons, though, right? Like, I get that. That's cool. Like, I I can understand why you would want to run 26 miles at one time, kind of. What I don't understand is why people choose to run something like the Ironman race. Does anyone know what the Ironman race is? Listen to this. It is 2.4 mile swim. I'm already out at that. I do not swim well. Then it's 100 miles of biking. 100 miles. And then you finish all of that with a 26-mile run. You run a marathon at the end of doing all of this. That is just next-level insanity. One of my sister's friends, Lauren, she's really big into Ironmans. She loves doing Ironmans. After work, she'll, she'll go and she'll swim just several miles to train for these. After she gets off a long day of work. And on her weekends, she'll run near marathon-level distances to train herself for this. Several years ago, on my sister's 30th birthday, Lauren drove up from Dallas to Kansas City. It's about a nine-hour drive to be there for Tori's birthday party. And then she left at 10 p.m. to make it back to Dallas for a 7 a.m. 50-mile bike ride to train for this. I mean, that is next-level dedication. And I remember sitting there on the couch and she was explaining this Iron Man thing to me. And I'm sitting there, and my parents, we all have cake because it's a birthday party. And I'm just having my cake, right, on the couch. And I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to Lauren talk. And I'm just like, why don't I do Iron Mans? Like, why don't I do this? That sounds fun. Oh, cake. That's why. And I kind of nestle into the couch. Oh, that's why. Couches are comfortable. And as I laid down to sleep that night while Lauren was driving nine hours back to Dallas to go bike 50 miles at 7 a.m., I remember thinking, this is why I don't run Ironmans. <laughs> because to me, y'all, the, the comfort and the pleasure of living my normal life, it sounds so much better than what is probably actually torture. Right? It sounds so much better. And the money that I would spend on the bikes and the shoes and equipment and race fees and training, I'd rather spend it on other things than put my body through that kind of abuse. Like, I just, I would. And, and I don't think very many people in this room are going to disagree with me on that. Because I don't see anyone in here running Ironmans, except for maybe Carlos, if you're, that's what you're doing next. Nope. And that mentality is okay when you're thinking about Ironmans, but it's not okay when we bring it into the spiritual world. Moses gave up 
pleasures and treasures for the reward of suffering for Christ. Y'all, in addition to the status and the fame that Moses had in Pharaoh's house, he basically had all the treasure and all the pleasure that he could ever want. There were athletic events like chariot races and archery, and he could either, either, either watch these or he could compete in them whenever he wanted. There was the richest food and delicacies and entertainment that he could ever want. The upper Egyptian elite, they were highly sexually active, and there was a variety of sexual experience, any kind that Moses wanted at any moment. And he would have had money, and he would have had nice clothes, and he would have had good horses and musicians and travel and comfort and everything that he wanted. Anything that he could possibly begin to dream of, he had access to all of those. And needless to say, if there was anything that you or I could ever imagine, if we could ever look at it, something worldly and think, yeah, that looks awesome. Moses had access to all of it in addition to his social status and fame. But he gave it all up for the abuse suffered for Christ. Why? Why would he do that? And it says, because sin's pleasure is always fleeting. Y'all, the highs and the rush that sin brings, it only lasts for a season. If you want to live a life that's full of greed and you want to live for your bank account and you want to spend everything that you make on you so that you can feel the rush that when you click checkout on the Amazon button, you get that little rush. You can do that but it will only last for a season, and then you'll just be left wanting more. You can live a life of lust, and you can pursue hookups with people, and you can date the wrong people, and you can pursue pornography, but it only lasts for a season, and after it's done, you are left wanting more. There are selfish comforts, hours of scrolling on TikTok or YouTube or hours of gaming just trying to feed your appetite. You can do that, but it lasts for a season, and then you are left wanting more. And you can live a life of pride, and you can look at people with other political opinions. You can look at other people with different social statuses, the rush of gossiping, putting other people down so that you can feel good about yourself. Just thinking and entertaining thoughts that, man, I'm better than everyone else here. You can do that and pursue that rush, but it only lasts for a season, and you will be left wanting more. Sin can be so sweet when you taste it, but the ending is always bitter. It's always empty. There is no life in sin. And if you are navigating your life and you think that these things will bring you enjoyment or happiness, God's word is trying to warn you that there are rocks ahead. And he does not want you to crash. He does not want you to end up in broken relationships. He does not want you to end up living a greedy life. He does not want you to end up apathetic. And he doesn't want you to end up in a place where you think, I am the center of my own universe and I don't care about anyone else around me. God does not want that for you. And Moses saw that in faith. He believed God's word. And it says that the abuse suffered for Christ was greater than all the treasures and pleasures of the world. And it's here that we see that faith chooses to suffer. 
Paul repeats this idea after Jesus had been resurrected 1,500 years later. He says this in Philippians, Whatever gain I had, I considered as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I consider everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, trash, some translations use dung, in order that I may gain Christ. And I want to talk about what this means practically. But first, do you see Jesus as good? Just like the downs we're talking about, do you wake up and see Jesus is good? Is everything else in my life, when I compare it to the goodness of God, does it just seem like an afterthought? Does it seem like something that I'm happy to throw away? Because Abel gave his best to God because he thought, man, God's worth it. Abraham and Sarah, they left their inheritance and they left their homeland because they saw God was worth it. Moses gave up status and he gave up sin because he saw that God was worth it. And if you're asking, why is Jesus worth it? It's because we turn from sin's pleasure, which is a real thing. But to follow Jesus, you have to decide, right? You have to align yourself with him. You have to say, I'm going to choose to be unpopular. I'm going to choose to go against what I think. I'm going to choose to submit myself to God's word. I'm going to choose to get rid of sin in my life. I'm going to choose to surrender myself to God. And if you're asking, why is, why is Jesus worth it? It's because sin will shipwreck you, but there is new life in Jesus Christ. To those of you tonight, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're like, why would anyone ever live this way? Why would anyone ever trust the Bible? Or if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus and you're doubting God's goodness, listen to this. You have felt the rocks crush your life in some way. And you know that deep down you need forgiveness. Hebrews 11.28 says that Moses kept the Passover And he sprinkled the blood of the lamb so that the destroyer of the firstborn wouldn't touch them. What this is saying is that God was going to pass through and punish Pharaoh for what he had done. And and God said to Moses, you need an innocent lamb's blood. And that's how you'll be saved. In the exact same way, Jesus is the innocent lamb who gives us his blood. Revelation 1.5 says, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. The burden of your sin, trying to pick up the pieces of your life, it says that Jesus can free you from that. He did that for you when he died on the cross for our sin. Sin's pleasure is fleeting, but Jesus' reward is eternal. And you might give up status, and you might give up reputation, and you might give up wealth, and you might give up sin. But do you know what you gain? Do you know what you gain? Listen to this, y'all. You gain a good father who will never leave you. You gain a best friend that will never let you down. You gain peace and joy in any circumstance, even the hardest times of your life. You gain forgiveness and healing from shame and pain from your past choices. And you gain an eternal life with a God who loves you. That is why we suffer loss to gain Christ. Because of what we gain is so much greater. Timothy Atik, he's a pastor down in Dallas. He says it like this. Our tendency is to run to the world 
looking for what we already have freely in Jesus Christ. Y'all, faith chooses to suffer. We suffer the loss of all things. And if you're here tonight and you're trying to turn your back on sin, it will feel like suffering. If you have inundated your life with hours of scrolling and TikTok and selfish apathy, it will feel like suffering when you try to cut back on that because your body wants it. You want your comfort. If you're being changed in the area of pornography or sex or or dating the wrong people, it will feel like suffering to say no to these things. If you're trying to grow in any area of your life, it will feel like suffering when you have to let go of that sin because in the moment it's sweet. But Paul says he counts it as a loss. It doesn't matter to him. And he says even good things. He counts all things as a loss. Dreams and hopes and reputation. He counts them all as trash. He says, I don't care because I know that Jesus is good. Until we see sin as better, we will never see Jesus as sweet. And and we kind of look at that, right? And we say, man, but suffering? Like suffering does not sound fun. I don't, man, I, I know sin's not good, but is the alternative, does it have to be suffering? Like, do we really have to go through hard times? Doesn't God want me to be happy? Right? Isn't that what God wants for me? He does. But so much more than that, he wants you to be whole. He wants you to be satisfied. And a good father disciplines his child out of love. Because if you raise a good kid, ask any parent, you don't give them everything they want in the moment. Because that's how you raise a spoiled child. And that kid will not be set up well for success in life. And ultimately, life will come crashing down around them if you give them everything that they want. And so a loving father disciplines them so that later in life they might know true joy. They might know true satisfaction. And if God gave us everything we wanted right now, that's no relationship. We don't gain Christ. If he just gives us everything, we're going to go off and we're going to play with our stuff. And we're going to turn into spoiled spiritual children. But God disciplines us through suffering, and he allows suffering to come into our life. He cuts sin out of our life so that we can find true joy and satisfaction more and more each day in Jesus Christ. And the key word to all of this is that we have to consider. It says that Moses considered his choice. It says that Paul considered between Christ and the loss of all things. And we have to take a step and we have to slow down and take a look at our lives. And this is such a challenge in today's world. I feel this every single day. I was talking with a close friend at dinner yesterday. We were talking, this world does not set us up to think deeply. Having my phone always with me, it it doesn't help me think about God. But we were talking about that and we were saying, but it just feels shallow. If I scroll It just feels shallow if I pursue the things of this world. And so we have to take a step back and we have to consider. And we have to constantly ask ourselves the question, do I value the world or do I value Christ? And it might take a look of taking an audit of your actions and thinking, do my actions lend themselves to the world or do my actions prove that I'm following Jesus? And you might 
journal about this. You might write down whatever sin you think is worth it. You might write down whatever sin you're struggling with or whatever thing you put in the place of God in your life. And I want you to consider the outcome of it. And you sit there and you think, what is the outcome of a life of greed? What is the outcome of a life of pride or of lust or selfishness? And you think about it and you just critically allow yourself to work through that. And then you compare that with the outcome of a life with Jesus. And you remember all the things that Jesus says and you remind yourself, man, Jesus is worth it. It feels like I'm suffering, but Jesus is worth it. And whatever that thing is that we long for, sin's pleasure is fleeting. It won't last you, but I can promise a relationship with Jesus is everything you need and it's everything you might not know that you want. But y'all, between suffering and between aligning publicly with Jesus, this is hard. This is not easy. And Moses saw that it was hard. Check this out in verse 27 of Hebrews 11. It says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Y'all, the anger of the king in that time, it was a harsh thing. You guys might have seen the headdresses of the pharaoh. They had a cobra that was on the front of it, a snake. And that cobra, it represented that the king had the right to kill anyone who opposed him, had the right to strike them down in that moment. And so Moses, when he was going before Pharaoh and demanding that he let God's people go, Pharaoh could have instantly killed Moses on the spot, could have instantly struck him down. But it says, because of Moses' faith, he was not afraid of the king. It says, why? Because he saw him who was invisible. All of the choices that Moses made were only worth it because of his focus on Jesus Christ. Jesus was his reward, and he didn't know exactly what he was looking forward to, but he knew that God was going to send someone to die for him. And he knew that God would deliver one day. And Paul says the exact same thing. Paul says that his aim is to know Christ and to experience the power of his resurrection and to share in Jesus' sufferings that by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul was saying that to me, it's worth it to gain Christ. And so if we want to know how do we endure, how do we stick it out? How do we live this out practically? The answer is that we try to know Jesus every day. Y'all, the Block KC, it's a young adult ministry. And it's our goal that you walk with Christ throughout your young adult years. But we have a much deeper goal here, and that's that you would love God for the rest of eternity. And there is not an easy way to do this. There's no shortcut to this. It will take endurance. And that brings up our closing choice. Faith chooses to endure. As the band comes out, Y'all, you will have to align yourself when it wins you nothing on this earth. You will have to suffer the loss of the world around you. And you will have to do this every single day for the rest of your life. And if you try to rely on your own ability to white-knuckle these things and tough it out and run harder, you will fail as you are trying to endure. And so if you're asking, how do I endure? How do I choose to do this? If aligning with Jesus and saying no to sin, if that seems impossible to you by yourself, which it should, it should be very impossible to every single one of us in this room, what you do is every day you pray and you beg God on your knees to guide you through it all. And it looks like surrender, where every single day you just say, God, I need you. 
And if you're faced with a choice of you have to identify with Christ publicly and you're nervous about it, you beg God to help you. And you say, God, I want to follow you. Help me do it. And if you've got sin that you, you think it's sweet right now, and you're like, I know I need to let go of this because I know this is killing me, you beg God every single day to get you through this. And in closing, I don't know where you were at in your faith journey. I don't know where you are at coming in here tonight. If you are not a follower of Jesus, we are so glad you're here. If you were here tonight and you are looking at sin and you follow Jesus, but you're thinking, man, sin just feels good. If you're here tonight and you're just struggling to believe that God is good, we are inviting you to know Jesus more every single day. Remember and consider Jesus who loves you and died on the cross for your sins, the friend that will never leave you, the father that will never forsake you, someone who loved you so much that he died for you and wants to rescue you from everything that's going on. And it'll take suffering and it'll take aligning and publicly identifying with Christ. But I, I just ask, would you just come and taste and see that God is good? Bow your heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we want to see that you're good. And God, we can't, we can't convince ourselves. God, we can't do this ourselves. God, only your word can do this. And so God, I pray tonight, would your spirit work in our hearts? God, would we see that the things of the world that are entertaining, God, the things of this world that bring comfort and that we so often run to, God, instead of running to you, God, that I so often go to, God, would you help us to see that you are worth all of it? God, you're worth giving it all up. And God, would you give us the courage? God, please give me the courage to publicly identify with you every chance that you ask of me. And God, if there's someone in this room tonight, God, who doesn't know you, God, I pray that they would choose to surrender and that they would endure for the rest of their life by getting to know the God who loves them. In Jesus' name I pray.